Today we launch a six-month journey into the book of Acts. And as we begin to uh, enter into this for the next uh, several months, we're going to look at uh, a book that's 2,000 years old with a question of why, why should we be reading this book? Or for that matter, any book of the Bible that's 2,000 years old. For a lot of people think, I don't need to read the book. I don't, I don't even know the Old Testament books. A lot of people believe in the Bible, but they don't read it. And so as we come into this particular uh, book, the question is uh, the significance of the book of Acts. And today I want to open uh, with some, <clears throat> some information that will stimulate you to encourage you to read the book of Acts. <clears throat> but with a particular emphasis today is I want you to hear that the Word of God is still the Word of God and is still significant and relevant today, except we have a journey to take 2,000 years back into time to understand what was going on in that world in order to understand the truth and the wisdom and the perspective that the Spirit of God gave that group of people in order to bring it to our culture and our day in order to make it significant and relevant today. But as we get into the book of Acts, let me ask you, when was the last time you read the book of Acts? Anybody read the book of Acts within the last year? Two years? Five years? Uh, it's one of these books that you think, well, I don't know much about the book of Acts. And like a lot of the books in the New Testament, it's a, it's a reference point. We, if we want to Google God, we go to the internet. We don't read these things because we... Uh, are drawn to them unless there's a reason for it. And so today I want to get into the book of Acts to understand that as you look at this book, there's some really interesting things that I think are relevant for us. And so I want to talk about the significance of this book in time. So, so bear with me as I teach a little bit this morning, as I give you some questions and you check your brain, see if you know these answers. Who wrote most of the New Testament? Do you know? Well, let me give you some ABC questions. A, Luke, Paul, or John? ABC. Paul? How many say Paul? Yeah, most of you say Paul. Uh, John wrote uh, a, a lot, but most people think, I don't know about how many books John wrote. I don't know how many books Paul wrote. So Paul wrote 13 books. But, uh, so that's a good answer. But when I go back to ask you the question, how many books are there in the New Testament? Oh, shoot, I gave you the answer already, didn't I? Uh, 27 books in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament. Some of you know that, some of you don't. But who wrote the most in the Bible? Who was the author that put more into the Bible than anybody else? Do you know? Do, 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 do. Moses. And so Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. But notice Ezra wrote three books, Jeremiah two books. Uh, and there you have the answer. Luke and Paul wrote more in the New Testament. But Luke wrote more than Paul. So here how, here's how it breaks down. Moses wrote about 20%, over 125,000. But then there's Ezra... And Jeremiah is in there. But Luke 
over 25,000 words. Now, this is just my background, but it's important for a couple reasons. Uh, the 1,320 words in the New Testament, um, Luke wrote 27%. Paul wrote 23%. And John wrote 20%. So of these three, <clears throat> you've got about 70% of the New Testament in three men. Now, it's interesting about these men because what we've heard from the Word so far is that when you come into the Old Testament, by the time you get to Jesus, people had pretty well understood that the Bible and the Old Testament was the covenant of God's people, and it was not contested in the New Testament era. They understood because Jesus stamped that the Old Testament was the revelation of God. Beginning with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, Jesus said, these Old Testament men wrote of me, and Jesus confirmed the authority of the Old Testament. But how about the New Testament? When did the New Testament take on an authority? And when did the New Testament, because it was still being written as it was going along, so somewhere along the line, you've got this developing church that's growing with letters and revelation and, and being given to John, Paul, and Luke. He's talking too. He can join in the conversation. So here's a question for you. Again, another trivia question. What was the first New Testament book written? Do, 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 do. Anybody know? 20, again, there's 27 books to choose from. Let me, back, let me back it up. What was the first gospel book written? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First gospel? Mark. Mark was the first one. Then came Matthew. And then came uh, Luke. And then came John. John was the last one. And as, as Luke began to investigate Mark's gospel and and Matthew's gospel, he began to interview and research from all the disciples that he met. Luke begins to do some very interesting work, but the Mark is not the first book. The first book written in the New Testament, depending on which author you believe, it's either the book of Galatians or the book of First Thessalonians, depending on how you time the letters and the sources they get. But there you see the death of Jesus, uh, and then you move into uh, Thessalonians, Galatians, Philemon, Philippians, Corinthians, and Romans. And notice uh, Luke, Luke Acts is written after 80, before 90, right through there. Uh, and so this is an older, older collection of works 50 years, 60 years after Christ's resurrection. And so what you have developing in the New Testament church, a body of letters that are going around that, that are kind of loose until you understand that, that these letters would somehow be recognized by the church as authority, as apostolic. So that's what's really interesting. So let me go back to the Luke-Acts story. This is a single unit. 
when, when Luke wrote his book, he wrote it to a man, which we'll talk about in a little bit, named Theophilus. And Theophilus, you don't know anything about Theophilus. I, I don't know much about Theophilus. We don't know much about Theophilus, but here's this guy named Theophilus. And Luke writes to him the book, the Gospel of Luke, to the most excellent Theophilus. And then the second part is volume two, the book of Acts. And here's what I want you to know. Luke and Acts were one unit together. And everywhere the Luke-Acts unit went throughout the churches, people would hear the story about all that Jesus did, began to do, and what he taught through the writings of Luke. Well, Luke-Acts was a very prominent uh, unit. And so everywhere uh, the churches would gather, collect the Bible, and the New Testament developing uh, New Testament, they would have this Luke-Acts together as one volume. Until Paul came along. When Paul began writing his works, they collected all of Paul's letters, the Pauline letters, the pastoral letters, the prison letters, and they bound those together. And so in the New Testament, you have these two groups of, of material units walking through the church, the, the, the Luke-Acts and the Pauline letters. And then something happened in time. People said, well, you know, let's take Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John and put those together. Because those are the Gospels about the time of Christ. So they, they gathered those Gospel writings, narratives of Christ, <clears throat> put them together, and they're called the synoptics. And that's why there's a lot of overlaps. There's a synthesis in those stories. There's differences, of course. Matthew being Jesus is about the king and the kingdom. Mark is about the servant uh, Jesus being a servant, he went here, he did this, he was immediately going there, and he's healing this. He was the king who was a servant. And then you come to Luke. Luke talks about the humanity of Christ. And you see Luke describing Jesus being uh, hungry, tired, walking here, getting away from people. Uh, every, he was fixing breakfast after the rest. Luke is about the humanity of Christ. And John is about the divinity of Christ. It's, it's not just the Son of Man, he's the Son of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four went around as the Gospels, and therefore it shifted from Luke-Acts to the Gospels and Pauline writings. So that's a little bit of trivia. But interesting, as you think about this, uh, these letters were being believed in all the churches until a guy came along named Marcion. And Marcion in the first century, 120, he came along with a whole new perspective. And he was a disciple kind of a Paul. He studied Paul a lot. And he was out of balance. Marcion then said, in the second century, he said, you know, Jesus came to develop this whole new system of religion. And the idea that what the Old Testament presents as God was a terrible, wrathful God. Jesus presents an entirely different view of God, and therefore we want to follow this Jesus. We don't need to follow the Old Testament because Israel is no longer in play, and therefore Marcion said, scratch the Old Testament. 
You don't need the Old Testament. You don't need the Old Testament God. We just need to find this new Gnostic enlightenment of Christ. And so there's a problem. Now you've got the authority of scriptures being discarded by Marcion and other heretics who came along. But to decide that you don't need the Old Testament... That was a big shift. And so Marcion said, I want to study Paul. And the Pauline letters is what he would base some of his stuff on. And so he would argue and he would convince a lot of people. And there began a movement to follow this guy named Marcion. Well, in steps the Catholic Church. Because somebody's got to judge what's true and what's not true. Since you're not using the Old Testament, what authority are you going to go to? So here you've got the, the church coming in to say, well, Marcion, you really are a heretic. This is error. And he was then challenging. Marcion then challenged. He said, well, listen, if Paul is not right, and if I'm wrong, you church tell me what is right. If this is wrong and I'm wrong, then what is right? Because if the, New, if the Old Testament is out, and we don't have a New Testament yet. And it was through Marcion that the church decided to figure out which books were the accurate books that were considered evangelical, redemptive, gospel-oriented. And therefore, they returned to the book of Acts. Luke had been split. Luke-Acts. Luke went to the the Gospels, but the book of Acts was out there on its own until the New Testament church decided, let's go back to Luke, because Luke was the one who recorded the actual events. And therefore, Luke the historian steps in at this time as a reference point, and that's the beginning of the New Testament foundation when they said, these are the authorized books. These are the canon, canonized books of the New Testament. And so they went back to Luke's work and they began to check any heresies based on the Gospel, Acts, and the book of, and the book of Paul's letters. Now there are other books in there too, uh, but they would always be measured would they be redemptive? Would they be evangelical in its focus? Some books got in, some books didn't, which is another pot of coffee. But I want to go back to this idea that this book, Luke, Acts, together form one unit. And therefore, you need to know a little bit about this guy named Luke. What do you know about Luke? Pick your brain. Was he Jewish? He's not Jewish. Luke is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. And therefore, Luke is going to bring a whole new perspective. But you need to know something about Luke because there's a lot of things about this guy. The reason why they went back to him because he was quite a prolific man, kind of like Leonardo da Vinci. In many, many ways, he was an educated man. He was born in Antioch, Turkey. If you know anything about the book of Acts, Antioch became the second headquarters. Jerusalem was the first one. And then Antioch became a very powerful 
powerful city in, in the Roman uh, Empire and in the development of the mission of Jesus. But Turkey is north of Jerusalem, over there, uh, north of Syria, and you move over into the Mediterranean Sea where you get the uh, Galatia, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossian churches. But Antioch is right there at that hinge. You'll see that. And it's an old city. So Luke, Luke uh, grew up in a city where the gospel was coming through. And I'm still trying to figure out where Luke got involved. And I can't find, I'm still searching. When did he first hear, how did he first hear the gospel? He's a Gentile living in Antioch. He may have been a Hellenized Jew, some people think. But here's some things we do know about Luke. He's the patron saint, according to the Catholic Church. He's the patron saint of the artists, the physicians, the bachelors, surgeons, uh, students, butchers, bookbinders, glassblowers, goldsmiths, and a lot of other people. He was a man of many, many talents. Um, he was an artist. He was the first one that painted, they say, uh, pictures of Mary with child as the iconic uh, symbols that they would use. But he was an artist. He was sensitive. Uh, in, in his time, uh, he was a doctor, but not a surgeon, not like we would have not we, like we would think of a doctor today, but nevertheless, in that time, whatever a doctor, whatever the criteria was to become a doctor, Luke was a physician, probably knew a lot about holistic medicine. But uh, when he writes, Luke is a detailed person, as a doctor would be, and he takes that same detailed mind and he goes into Scripture. And, and he writes about things in the book of Luke that nobody else writes about. He writes about Mary's prayer. He writes about, uh, he writes about the humanity of Christ and the healings in detail. He writes in terms of uh, timelines when certain uh, politicians were in office. And you'll see the historian come through. But he wasn't a an historian that we would think about historians today, he was trying to get an accurate account together of the events. And as Luke would go through, uh, he would present this to the other churches in order to teach other people how to grow up in the faith. Now, the thing about Luke, as a Gentile, he would have a critical mind. He would, he would have a factual mind. So he would put in all these details. But as a minister, as it says here, uh, a minister would see men at their best, a lawyer sees men at their worst, and a physician like Luke sees men as they are. And therefore, he's going to be more factual, trying to give the details. Here's the history. But one other thing about Luke. Luke met Paul somewhere before 60 AD. Paul was in Philippi when Paul was in prison, somewhere either in the time with Colossians. Uh, in that book, we'll try to figure out this as, as we go through this. But he got to know Paul, and Paul uh, was in prison in Philippi, and Luke had some connection with Paul there. And that was around 60, in the early 60s, 
And when Paul was imprisoned the second time in Rome, Luke was there as well. Luke remained uh, the constant companion of Paul. And Paul writes that, that everybody else had left Paul. Only Luke remained. And so what this says about this man is Luke was a loyal, loyal friend. He was a single man, never married, and therefore he was able to travel and do all those things. Luke died at age 84. And he died in this place called Boeotia, according to the tradition. But at 84, I'm still trying to figure out how old was Paul when Luke met him, and we'll try to feather those out again when we get into the details. But I think, using the Myers-Briggs, I'm guessing that Paul might, uh, that uh, Luke might have been an INFJ. He was a deep thinker, but he was a deep feeler, and he cared for people, and he had uh, the detailed mind that he would be able to structure and get things together. But look at all that he did. He was an artist, a bachelor, a physician, a historian, a researcher, a discipler. And therefore, he writes the book of Luke and Acts to this one man called Theophilus. Now, who's Theophilus? And why is Luke writing to Theophilus? Well, he writes, In my former book, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to say and do. He's writing to Theophilus about Jesus. But he never met Jesus. And that's why he interviewed so many people who did. And so he was the first researcher doing case studies. And he brought all those stories into his writing. Because he did not have the experience of knowing Christ personally. And yet, he says, here's what he began to do. And here's what he began to teach until the day he was taken up and, the, and until the Holy Spirit came down upon the church. And therefore, in Luke, the former book, notice what he says. Many have undertaken to draw upon uh, an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and they were servants. Eyewitnesses and servants. Now pick up these words because these are the words that they would hear and understand. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an orderly account for you. Most excellent Theophilus. Now, here's Paul's account. Luke Acts. One unit. And he's giving it to Theophilus. Why Theophilus? Well, Theophilus was from the city of Antioch, where Luke was. And therefore, this Theophilus guy, the most excellent Theophilus, that title, most excellent, could be used in several ways. One, he could have been, some people think, a high priest. Some people don't think that. Some, he could have been a benefactor that funded Paul as a wealthy individual. He was, he was Paul's missionary support team. Uh, some people think that uh, Theophilus uh, was a convert, a Gentile convert like Luke. And Luke then, 
thought that this man would be a leader and therefore it would be Theophilus who would publish the work of Luke Acts and get this word out. But whatever it was, Luke was discipling Theophilus. And so Theophilus grew in his understanding, as you'll hear more about this. But Luke would talk about Peter's work and Paul's work in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, because of his experience with Paul, he didn't have experience with Jesus, but he did have experience with Paul. And halfway through the book of Acts, Luke begins to use the word we, Paul and I. Paul, my companion, we did this and we went there. And so you have a very intimate experiential testimony uh, through Luke in the book of Acts. So let me share just an overview, real quick overview of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is going to focus on, depending on what you look at, but there's three main parts where Peter takes the first lead and you follow the Spirit moving away from Jerusalem and the Jewish context to answer a lot of questions about what Jesus began to do and think. Well, wait a minute. If Jesus has now ascended to heaven, how is Jesus going to work on earth from heaven? How is the Spirit of God going to bring in this resurrection power? What's this thing of forgiveness and gospel that we're supposed to go to all the nations? Well, Peter and the Jewish people had to learn to move into an understanding of that God was at work to call the nations. This is Peter's story. Then you, have, you come into the second part where Philip shifts into the area of Samaria to those who are outside Jerusalem, and you move into Paul, who's going way beyond Jerusalem, way beyond Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And here you have the basis of missions coming through Paul, working through the Gentiles. Now, it's really interesting that Luke was the one who caught all of this and stored it up for us, but he writes, and I want you to get this because this is something that is for you as well. He says, um, he says, I want you to know the exact truth. I want you to know the exact truth. It's not like a doctor. He's making a diagnosis and he's giving the exact accuracy because the book of Acts is the basis for your understanding of how the Spirit of God is going to work in the body of Christ. I want you to know. That's why we sing, Thy word I have hidden in my heart. Thy word is the important part. And so Luke was saying, I want you to know the word given and would become the New Testament source of confidence. I want you to know the exact truth about the things you've been taught. And this account I composed for you uh, about Jesus. I want you to know the depth of the love of Jesus. I want you to know what that cross meant. I want you to know everything that happened with the disciples. I want you to know, and Luke writes more about the power of Jesus. Luke is writing as a witness, as, as the Jewish folks would know, that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the Jews would seek for signs. It was, it was about the 
visual. It was about the experiential. And what Jesus was saying is, look, look, observe. I'm here. Repent. Because it was, you could see it. And therefore, he said, I want you to be witnesses of the power that the kingdom of God is coming among you. And therefore, this Jesus began this work. That's Luke. And then he goes on. Not only would he begin the work, but he's going to continue the book in Acts, the work of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts was not called the book of Acts until the second century. It used to be called the origin of the Christian church. And they changed it to the Acts of the Apostles. Some people say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus began to do and teach. To Luke, Jesus was the Lord of power. But this power is supposed to bring about a kingdom. Well, wait a minute. Jesus died on a cross. There was no kingdom. And therefore, there is no power. Well, wait a minute. How does the Spirit going to bring about power? And that's the book of Acts. It's going to explain these questions. Well, why didn't he restore the kingdom back then? Because the nations were still lost. And so now the Spirit of God is going to work. But this idea that you would know for certain, this is what Luke, they, some people think that Luke with Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But again, you see it here. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, confidence and assurance of what we don't see. Here's Luke being exact in his understanding, wanting you to have the confidence and the assurance that that's why he's writing to Theophilus. And Theophilus, I'm going to pass this on to you so that when you publish this, this will go out through all the church so that the church will become strong in understanding who Christ is. Faith is being sure of your hope. Sure, certain, uh, 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 confident what you don't see. This is the purpose of the book of Acts. And therefore, just to sum up for us today, an overview of what's going to happen. And what took place 2,000 years ago, and as we look at what they did as those men became courageous and bold to go against their culture, the same thing takes place today because what Jesus began to do, the Spirit of God continues to do today. And therefore, when we get into the book of Acts, Note these themes, that Jesus is going to share his power. That's a pretty awesome, awesome claim. And you shall be witnesses, not, not judges, not policemen, not lawyers. You will be a witness to the shared power. You will see Jesus at work accompanying the disciples, accompanying the church as they move out. And therefore, you'll see the, the personal presence of Christ in the church through the Spirit moving throughout that world. And the purpose is redemption, about the forgiveness of sin. It's about a message. The message is you can have new life in Christ. You don't have to walk according to the flesh. You don't have to walk according to the kingdom of darkness. You are now invited to live above the darkness and above the fall with the grace and the, and the mercy 
and the power of Christ. It's a powerful message, but it's always, always, always emphasized in Luke's gospel that in particular geographic places, I think it's like 52 or 54 cities that are listed in the book of of Luke. And you'll see individuals going through because how God works through the book uh, of Acts is how he works today in Chesterland. He's going to work one by one, name by name, place by place in all the world so that people would know that this Jesus who was raised from the dead is still alive and still at work and still walking with his people. This is a significant book. Unless you open it and you don't hear anything, it just kind of gets dusty on the side. But if you get a hold of this, it enlarges your view of God that you begin to see God is still at work. All right, that's enough to wet your whistle. As we get into the book of Acts, we're going to start next week and go into chapter 1. And we're going to look at some of the things and the questions that the Spirit of God is going to help the people of God understand. And this becomes the beginning of the formation of the New Testament. So that you would have confident faith. So that you would have assured faith. That you would have an accurate faith. So that you would know that the power of God, the presence of God, the redemptive purposes of God, and you would become a witness for him. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good stuff? This gets exciting. So as you get into this book, I would invite you this week, as you move into uh, thinking about the Bible that you hold in your hands, Marcion was wrong. The Old Testament, Jesus confirmed. And the Old Testament then becomes the basis on which you build the New Testament and God's going to continue to fulfill His Word. You don't throw away the old. You listen to the old. You listen to the new. And you listen to the now. Let's pray. Father, that we would have ears to hear. That we don't want to drift away or just count this as optional. But would you make these words real for us? Would the Spirit of God enlighten our eyes, open our eyes to see all that you are doing? Make us like Theophilus, that our faith would be clear and our hope would be strong, that you would introduce us to a mature and wise and balanced view of who you are. But that wild view of all that you're doing. And we love you that you are, you're not going to be contained by our thinking. But the Spirit of God is on the move with his people. So Father, we want to join you. We want to ask you to fill us now with your presence and your spirit so that we would be your witnesses in this place. Again, Father, we worship you for saving this book. And we ask you to teach us like you taught Theophilus through Luke. <coughs> And so use these words to build up your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.